0: Good morning, I bring uh, sincere greetings uh, from your brothers and sisters at Christ Fellowship Church. As Steve mentioned, uh, Josh Carolla is uh, uh, preaching for them this morning, and we were really grateful to take advantage of, I think they probably got the better deal. To be honest, they got the better deal. But I sort of got a real sweet deal, I get to preach twice. Josh only gets to preach once. I'm so blessed and excited to be with you. You know, when uh, whenever you begin something new, it's good to begin with the end in mind. That's just kind of one of those principles that serves you in life. I think my dad probably taught it to me several times, but it totally makes sense. Um, if you're going to start a project or if you're going to start a trip, it's a good idea to have the end in mind when you start. I remember when I was speaking of my dad, I remember when I was a kid, I was a I was like a Revolutionary War nut, like George Washington, Minutemen, and uh, you know, a trip to, to Valley Forge in Pennsylvania, and, and all that stuff, and I was really excited, and so my dad took me to Kmart and uh, in Lansing, Michigan, and we bought a, a Colonial pistol kit. So it's a, it's a chunk of wood, and a barrel, and a lock, and a trigger, and you can actually build it, and it's supposed to fire. And so we, we, we had this kit, and we had a picture on the box of the end in mine, so we know what it was supposed to look like once we'd finished it and got it all together, and it mostly looked that way. Um, there was no picture of it firing, and we accomplished that as well, but uh, that's, you know, you want a picture of the end in mind when you're, when you're starting out or if you're going on a trip, you want to, you want to have your destination in mind and how you're, how you're going to get there from the beginning. I drove to Steve and Linda's last night, and it's a trip I'd made several times before, but I always want to make sure I don't memorize the exit numbers. So I want to make sure that I, I get that. So I, I plugged it into the GPS on my phone. And, you know, you get a big picture where we're up in Portland, Maine, and there's a route that goes this way. Don't want it. Route that goes that way. Don't want it. Route that comes this way. That's the one. That's the one that it always gives me in detail. So I click on that one. But, of course, for the rest of the trip, all you get is a little picture of where you're at. You know, the arrow on the blue road. And so we got somewhere around Worcester. And, uh, you know, I think for some reason, this GPS that's taking me the same way every single time took me a different way when we got to Worcester. And I got off on this exit, and I'm driving through neighborhoods instead of on the interstate, which is where I should be, and uh, driving past schools and all kinds of things, and finally end up somehow on 84 a while later. But I just, I didn't know what was going. I was a little worried that she, because she has a female voice, that GPS... (laughs) had uh, had forgotten the destination. And I frankly lost a little trust and confidence while I was looking at that screen. You know, even though it was plugged in, I was a little worried. You know, we begin every Sunday worships with a plan at the end in mind. We begin with a call to worship. We work our way through the elements of the worship service heading towards a benediction. A benediction. It's printed on your bulletin for you so that you can follow along. It's a compound word, benediction, bene, meaning good, benevolent, good. And diction, which sounds like diction, which sounds like words, it's a good word. It's a good word spoken by God to his people. It's a blessing. It's a word of blessing. And so we gather in this place to worship God out of obedience, and we'll be be scattered from this place, and we'll be scattered from this place with God's blessing. We want that. The specific blessing I'd like for you to look at this morning is the Aaronic blessing or the priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6. But before we read that, let me just give you a little bit of context as to where we are in Numbers chapter 6. We're in, the, in Numbers, so in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and God has rescued his people from bondage in Egypt, and they have marched to Mount Sinai where they spend about a year. And during that time, God has given them the Mosaic law. He's constituted them as the nation of Israel, his distinct people. He has also given them uh, the laws to in- instruct them to keep themselves holy, to keep themselves pure, and uh, a call to worship him and him only. So they have the law, the tabernacle, the priests, the sacrificial system, and they have a call. They have a call. God has called his people to march to a land that he has promised to give them where they will live blessed lives here in our text this morning, is where God gives them that blessing. Having gathered them for the purpose of cleansing them, God is now sending them out through the wilderness to their promised inheritance, the land, to live blessed lives. On their journey through the wilderness, they will be attacked by enemies. They'll face thirst and starvation. They'll experience dissension and division even within their own camp. But before God sends them on this dangerous journey, He blesses them. Nothing could have been more needed than the comfort that comes from the assurance of God's sovereign and guaranteed blessing on them before they take off on this trip. We know that because we've read about the trip, haven't we? I mean, Numbers is the account of the people's journey to the promised land, it was a journey that should have lasted just a few days, but it lasted 40 years. Why? Because Israel constantly doubted God's purpose to bless them. Isn't that ironic? The one thing that they proved they needed, God had already given them ahead of time a moment of honest reflection would probably reveal that same irony in our own lives. Wouldn't it? We go through the day. No God's called us from a, a start to a destination, but, but we're looking at the little screen. And all we see is the arrow on the road and nothing around us. And we think we don't have what we need. But we do. What we need to live Faithful lives today, God has already given us. If you want to follow along on the sermon outline in your bulletin, you'll read this theme, God blesses his faithful people by his keeping them in grace and peace through Jesus Christ, his and our great high priest. Let me read our text this morning. It is in chapter 6 of Numbers, verses 22 to 27. This is the word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord Lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather this morning, and we bow down low, humble before you. And we ask that you would bless us. And we ask that you would make us know that we are blessed. And we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O God, our blessed rock and our blessed redeemer. Amen. So the first question we want to ask is where does this blessing come from? What's the, what's the true source of the true blessing so we don't get confused with false sources and false blessings? And you'll notice that God initiates the blessing. That's, that's astounding to even think of. That there's us, you know, kind of like ants, and here's God, and he initiates a move. He initiates this blessing. And he tells Moses, but the blessing is not from Moses. And Moses tells Aaron But the blessing is not from Aaron. Aaron will tell the people that this is the blessing of God. Three times, Aaron the priest will say, The Lord blesses. The Lord makes his face to shine. The Lord lifts up his countenance. Three times, it's Yahweh who blesses. And that word, Lord, all caps probably in your Bible, is the personal name of God. It's Yahweh. The word God, it's a good word. We love it. We love Him, but it, it highlights our sovereign Creator, who's majestic and powerful and transcendent. But when the Lord says, "Use my personal name, Yahweh," well, it's personal. It's personal. It's He's our Father in Heaven, who's blessing us. You know, my son, uh, my older son, Sam, and his wife just visited us this past week. They moved to Michigan. Um, back in January. We haven't seen them in a while, and they came and visited. We had a, a wonderful time together. And and as it was time to go, um, you know, we're giving hugs. Now, it's, it's kind of easy because Kate, she's just a little slip of a thing. So I, I, I hug Kate. But then when I go to hug my son, I, I have to do this and reach up to hug him. So he's the one who has to kind of hunch over just a little bit so I don't have to go up on my tippy-toes and feel, you know, really, really pathetic. You know, he bends over just a little bit to accommodate me. And, and he hugs me and, and I'm hugging him. And you know, dad's got that that hug that hangs on for just, just a second or two longer than after he's already like, you know, released, you know, and it's kind of like, what's what's going on in that second or two? And that, what's going on in that second or two is I'm I'm just thinking how much I love my son. And that I'm gonna miss him. And I'm and I'm just wanting the Lord to bless him. You know? You know, kids when when mom or dad hug and they hold on just a little bit longer, Don't worry, they're just saying I love you. And, and, and that you mean the world to me. And if we say that to our kids, don't you think that's, that's what God's saying in a blessing? You mean the world to me. I want everything to go well for you. And I'm going to give you everything because I'm a good father. I want you to have it. Three times it is Yahweh who blesses. And at the end of verse 27, look at verse 27. Because if I'm looking at the ESV, you may not see this so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. There's a little something missing there. It's a redundancy. It, it literally is translated, I, myself, will bless them. So there's this built-in redundancy in the wording to emphasize that it is indeed Yahweh who personally blesses his children. But it's Aaron, the priest, who speaks the blessing. So how does that work? Well, 2 Chronicles chapter 30 gives us some insight in that place. Israel is celebrating the Passover under good King Hezekiah. And at the end of the celebration, so like a, like a 10-day worship service, at the time when, when you're ready for the benediction, we read this in verse 27. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, probably with this very blessing. And their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. Huh. You see, the the priest serves as a mediator between the people and God. And the people, when, when they speak the blessing, the people hear a promise of blessing from the priest while God hears a prayer for blessing from the priest. And then it's God who blesses. Why is it that God so strongly emphasizes that he is the source of blessing? I mean, it's unmistakable. I think it's because we so often are mistaken in our desire for blessings. We, you and I, yes, really, you and I, are so often mistaken in our desire for blessings. We, we're in that, that little GPS window where all we see is us. And what's in front of us. It's small. It's narrow. It's self-focused. God's blessing is for all of life. and We want to pull little blessings into our little window for right now, forgetting what's beyond on our screen. We, we, we find ourselves wandering into false blessings or false sources of blessings. And Jeremiah famously told the Israelites before their exile that they were looking for blessings in all the wrong places. It's what they were doing as a people in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. God says, "My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water." See, instead of seeking the blessings of God from whom all blessings flow, the Israelites sought blessings where blessings could not even be found. I mean, they pursued them by digging them. They worked hard for these false blessings. They desired goopy mud puddles instead of clear living water. For the Israelites in the Old Testament, that meant things like, so put on your Old Testament history history cap for a minute here, For Old uh, Old Testament Israel, that meant things like seeking security in military alliances with other nations like Egypt and Assyria instead of trusting God to keep and protect them as he blessed them with the promise that he would. Or it meant donating the gold they had plundered from Egypt to make a golden calf to worship rather than devoting it to the worship of God in the tabernacle which he had called to bless them by. Now, we would rather not admit that we've done the same thing, right? We've turned from the flowing fountain of living waters and tried to dig our own cisterns from which we have happily drank dirty, stinking water while saying to one another, oh, that tastes good. That doesn't smell so bad. How do we do that? In various ways. We do that when we think that life and satisfaction will come from that job, that career. We think that life and satisfaction will come from having those things. We think that life and satisfaction will come from pursuing that pleasure. We think life and satisfaction will come from the respect and admiration of others— That'll, that'll make me happy and that'll last. We seek blessings by sight rather than faith. And when we think life and satisfaction will come from fill in the blank, whatever you fill in the blank with, meet your golden calf. Wake up. Smell the stinky water and the cistern you've dug. That's what that's, what that's saying to us. Stop trying to fill your heart with blessings that are not from God. I'm thinking of blessings that we we think or are told are wonderful. And they're not from God. I wonder if you can think of a few. How about untold wealth? How about money? You know, if money were were the ultimate blessing from God, wicked sinful people wouldn't have it. But they do. Well, what about power? I mean, it kind of goes with money. What if I could coerce people, convince people, cause people to do what I want them to do? If that was the ultimate blessing from God, wicked, sinful people wouldn't have the ability to do that. What about an unbound, unbridled sex life? Seems to be what our culture wants. Seems to be what the world wants. But if that was the ultimate blessing of God, sinful, wicked people wouldn't have it. But they do. But they do. Stop trying to fill your heart with blessings that are not from God. And you can. You can do that when you realize God is the giver of blessings. God is the author of blessing and the only one who blesses with real life and satisfaction. We're not able, you and I, To make the blessing that we actually need, we can't do it. The blessing that we actually need, the the, the blessing of knowing or or accomplishing our final final destination in that GPS plug in, only God has that blessing. And He gives it. The scripture is unmistakable. The source of true blessing is the Lord. So, what is that true blessing? Let's look at the verses again, beginning in verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's, It's not a long passage. It's pretty short. But notice that the verses are building. They're building and expanding and they're growing to a crescendo. The first clause in each verse begins with God's movement towards his people. Yahweh blesses his people. Yahweh makes his face to shine upon his people. Yahweh lifts up his countenance upon his people. And then the second clause of each verse points to the action that God will take. How he will bless his people. He will keep them. He will be gracious to them. He will give them peace. Keep Be gracious, peace. That sounds like the start, middle, and destination of a GPS, doesn't it? There's a roadmap here of God's blessing, and it lands in peace. And it's all building to God's declaration in verse 27, I will bless them. Notice also that the blessing is both corporate and individual. Aaron, the priest, is to pronounce this blessing on the gathered people of Israel, about two million of them at that point in time, and he will say, The Lord bless you, which is in the singular, you. The Lord's blessing concerns all of them together and each of them personally. We would say that God's blessing the church and all the members therein, it's both. And so, first, God promises his care. And is keeping. The Lord bless you and keep you. The word blesses, it's broad, it's, it's, it's encompassing, it's the base here. It's not vague, though. If you asked any Israelite listening to Aaron speak the blessing, they could tell you very quickly that the Lord's blessing entails. It, it entails a safe land, which he's promised, possessions that he's promised, health and, and, and well-being and flourishing children, nearness of God, especially in times of trouble. God gives these things that we need. This concept of blessing is God's care for us. A quick caution. um, Is it a blessing to have reliable transportation? Sure. Is it a blessing to have a warm, dry place to live in winter? Sure. Is it a blessing to have clothes to wear and food to eat and a loving family? Yes. Yes. Those are blessings from God, but we will not ultimately find life and eternal satisfaction even in them. And so we need to avoid any Christian materialism, a cr- kind of a church form of prosperity gospel. We receive life and satisfaction in the God who gives these things to us, who cares for us by providing for our needs as he sees our needs. That's, that's the tripwire there, isn't it? He provides for our needs perfectly as he sees our needs. Not only does he care for us, but he keeps us. That is to say that God guards and protects us. What a critical promise to all of Israel and each of Israel as they obey God's call to march through the wilderness and cross the Jordan River and fight to take the land that he's promised them. Listen to this by Ligon Duncan. This is a promise that the Lord will guard and protect us. And think of how relevant that was for the children of Israel heading out into the dangerous wilderness and how relevant it is for us when we are treading the valley of the shadow of death, living life in a fallen world, surrounded by innumerable enemies and powers and principalities and rulers, world forces of darkness, seeking to sift us like wheat, crouching at our door, Waiting to devour us. You know, in my mind and and just current events in the world today, I can attach something to every one of those descriptors that Lig Duncan put in there. But all I have to do is go to the last one. Sin and temptation is crouching at my door. Sin is waiting to devour my heart. That takes enough of my attention. Do you recognize that as a description, this is a description of our lives today. It's a description of our lives, and Yahweh says, I will keep you. Brothers and sisters, if you're kept by the Lord, you're kept. Later in chapter 22 of Numbers uh, is the story of Balaam, a king Balak was about to go to war with Israel, and so he paid Balaam, a prophet, money to take the Lord's blessing off of Israel. Could he do it? He tried. No one can take the Lord's blessing off of his people. No one. Listen, it's because we're kept by the Lord that we're free to obey the Lord. To forsake worldly false blessings and live daily in our Heavenly Father's true blessing. I know sometimes you're afraid. Sometimes I am too. But we don't have to be. The Lord has blessed us that he will keep us. God also blesses in this way, he, his delight and in his grace in verse 25, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And I think we, I think we kind of intentionally know what that means because it provides a, a little word picture for us. We know what it feels like when our faces light up because someone we love just walked into the room. This is a picture of the Lord delighting in his people. His face shines on them with favor. I I don't know, sometimes I don't, I'm not sure everybody thinks of the Lord that way. Oh, the Lord's scowling at me today. The Lord's disappointed at me today. The Lord's looking upon you with favor today. It's the way parents look at their children and grandparents look at their grandchildren. It's the way husbands look at their spouses, their wives, and wives look at their husbands. We know what that looks like. And so we regularly define grace as God's favor. And there's an important connection right here in these verses that we need to make. God's shining face is linked to His gracious forgiveness of our sins. It's linked to that. God's face does not shine upon His enemies. His anger burns against His enemies. But God's face shines upon his children who are experiencing God's grace in the forgiveness of their sins. Remember the context of where we're at because it's the context of forgiveness. This blessing is laid in a bed of forgiveness. Just a few weeks before this, Aaron, the priest, had made a golden calf and led the whole group of the people to worship it a false god, an idol. And now, God tells Moses to tell that same Aaron, that Aaron, golden calf Aaron, to declare that God is gracious to those same people. God wants the words to come from Aaron's mouth. He wants Aaron to stand before the people and say that God is a forgiving God. Because more than a messenger of God's grace, Aaron stands before the people as living proof of God's grace, still alive, still a priest who's serving, still one whose voice reaches God in heaven in prayer because he's been forgiven. I know that when we, when we get out in a culture that seems to be bent on opposition, it is an ungodly culture, uh, an unwelcomely, unwelcoming to Christian culture, and we know that we have this wonderful duty and privilege to share the good news of Jesus Christ, oftentimes we'll say to ourselves, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy. I, I'm not qualified to stand up and talk about Jesus. I, I, here's, I'm not the guy to point out somebody else's sin because I know what's in here. You're exactly the person to point out somebody else's sin. You're exactly the person to stand up and say, that's right, just a few weeks ago, I was making and worshiping and leading others to worship golden calves in my heart, but I've been forgiven. Do you see why God called Aaron? It's how he calls us. Yes, we're the ones. Sinners. Forgiven sinners. We get to say, yes, sinner. And we get to say, but Jesus forgives sinners. Jesus has done about the work that we might be forgiven our sins. It's gracious. It's gracious. You see, Satan wants to tempt you by saying that God is not gracious. Or to tempt you to keep from saying that God is gracious. That he will not forgive your sin. And he says this to you, he will not forgive your sin. Not this time, not again, church goer. But Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar. One of, one of two keys in Bible interpretation. All of us are sinners. Now you can read your Bible well. And Satan is a liar. God sent Aaron to say, the Lord's gracious. He has forgiven your sins and his face shines upon you with delight, so walk in his favor. And then God promises and blesses us with his watchfulness and peace. Yahweh's blessing is continuing to build in verse 26. It's it's working its way up. It's, It's getting towards that crescendo. The Lord Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And it sounds like some of those things are are repeated. Yes, because they're building, because they're moving towards a crescendo. Now, countenance sounds a lot like face, which we heard before. But God doesn't have a physical face, not as we would know, a physical face. And so God's countenance, how he looks at you, carries other things with it. It carries God's attitude and his disposition towards you which again sounds a lot like grace and favor, and it does, so we're picking up on a pattern here. We know that God's uplifted countenance is further explained then as his gift of peace. That's the crescendo. His gift of peace. Kept, gracious, peace. God has moved us with his uplifted countenance of salvation. He's paid attention to our great need and has given us peace with God. Not just an end to our rebellion against him, but his blessing of life and satisfaction. (laughs) We may be looking at our little screen of where we are, that arrow on the blue road, but we have the scriptural GPS saying, we will flourish and we will prosper under his watchful eye and forever that's the blessing. That's the crescendo. God's peace is the totality of God's blessing. We are at peace with the God who made us and gave us life and is bringing us to himself through his son that we might be with him forever. This is the only true, total, eternal blessing. Blessing. And if you came doubting this morning, it truly does exist. It truly does exist in real world, real time living, our living, Christian living, the people of God. It really does exist. If it's off your screen right now, you need to remember. Scripture says it really does exist. And God has given it. God has given it, it comes only from God, and it cannot be taken away. It cannot be taken away. How can we have this blessing? How can we have this blessing? Look at verse 27 again. So, or in this way, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. In this way, the priests will put my name upon my people who are Israel, and I will bless them. This blessing is steeped in the presence of God. It's about being with God. He looks at us and he smiles upon us because we matter to him. We're favored by him. We're accepted, even cherished. By him. He keeps us safe and he keeps us close to him. How can we receive this blessing? There's only one way. His priest makes it so. His priest makes it so. Jesus took the curse for the undeserved. They shall put my they, the priest, shall put my name on the people of Israel. Who are they? They're Aaron and his sons, found in verse 23. God mediates his blessing to sinners by his priest. Not Aaron, but the one whom all the Old Testament priests point to, Jesus Christ, God's great high priest, our great high priest. Just like the Israelites. We have all sought the hollow blessings of this fallen world, been deceived into thinking that they would bring us life and satisfaction, or at least the approval of sinners around us. And all the while that we're doing that, we're saying, I don't want peace with God, I don't want peace with God, I don't want peace with God. We are undeserving of God's blessing. Rather, we're deserving of His curse for our sins against Him. We need a priest. We need a priest to mediate God's blessing to accursed sinners. And Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He is the only mediator of God's peace to sinners. And do you know how? By taking the curse of God for us. Jesus, the truly blessed one, took the curse meant for sinners the should-be-cursed ones. On the cross, Jesus suffered the just wrath of God for our sin upon himself. On the cross, Jesus became a curse for us. And by the shedding of his blood, we're blessed with the peace that he has accomplished. Jesus, think about this, Jesus experienced the exact opposite of the priestly blessing that he fulfills. I mean, if you're wondering if he's sincere, right? Is God's love and salvation sincere? Is Jesus' love and sacrifice sincere? Jesus, the perfect blessing, became the complete curse for us so that it would be so. Rather than being kept by his father, God poured out the wrath of hell upon his son, our high priest. Rather than feeling the delight of his father's smile, God turned his face away, rejecting his son, our high priest. Rather than knowing the forgiveness of his father, God executed the full penalty for the weight of our sin on his son, our high priest. Rather than seeing his father's countenance lifted up upon him, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus would go to the place where there is no peace with God so that by faith in him we might have peace with God. We know this because Isaiah chapter 53 prophesied it. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We know it because a multitude of angels proclaimed it at Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those in whom he's pleased. We know this because before his betrayal, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you. My peace, the Son of God says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And in John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Peace In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus is our peace, freely given. Freely given. Jesus conquered our enemies of sin, death, and the devil, and was raised to the right hand of God the Father. Now our sin is paid for, and it is in Christ that we are blessed. You see, we're we're getting destination language now. Kept, gracious, what's our destination? It's Christ. It's this peace that's found in Christ. Now the blessing is true for those who came, he came to say for those upon whom God placed his name. This is what Jesus, God's great high priest, has accomplished. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans chapter 8, dear friend, have you received this blessing from God? This blessing of great cost, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is freely given to sinners. But there's a requirement you must cast down your golden calves. You must cast the idols out of your heart. You must stop drinking from your broken cistern that you keep digging and imbibing in earthly pleasures. And you must be owned completely by Christ. You must wear the Lord's name for all to see. And the Lord will bless you and keep you. If the Israelites had received and lived by this blessing, the book of Numbers, the Pentateuch, the history of Israel would be an entirely different story, wouldn't it? And the same is true for your life God is the giving one and the blessing one turn to Christ and be blessed by God brothers and sisters have you like the Israelites forgotten the blessing of God along the way from time to time when you look at the little screen that shows you up close and what your day is like If your daily journey through the wilderness of this fallen world is marked by fear, anxiety, anger, you may have forgotten that you're blessed by God. And it would be a wonderful thing to remember, wouldn't it? You may need to read these verses each morning at the beginning of your day and not wait to the end of a worship service for a blessing, a benediction. You have the total blessing of God, which you cannot lose. You have the total blessing of God, which you cannot lose. So you need not fear, nor be anxious, nor get angry that you don't have other blessings. You have God's peace. Let it guard your heart and your mind as you rest in Christ Jesus. One last thought. It's another quote from Ligon Duncan on this passage. He writes, isn't it interesting? The way that God is going to mark his people is with a blessing. Not with a brand, not with a bond, but with a Blessing. That's going to be his mark of ownership. How do you know that these are my people? I have put my name and my blessing on them. That's how you are to know that they're my people. That is our gracious God. That is our blessed God and blessing God. He wants people to know us because we're blessed by his blessing. And it's a reminder of God's purpose to fill the earth with his glory. We're to walk around with this mark on our lives. What is this mark? Blessing. Blessing. Sharing with others. More blessing. Filling the earth with the glory of God. We are the living trophies of the gospel of Jesus Christ for a purpose. God is still blessing sinners. And we bear God's name and live in His blessing to accomplish His purpose. To tell others of the blessing of God. And that they can have it by faith in Jesus Christ. I want to close with just a passage of of this blessing of God from the psalmist David. Listen to his words. Listen to his, his proclamation of God's blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your blessing given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blessing. Of the forgiveness of our sins, for the payment of our debts that were placed upon Christ. Father, thank you that you are always with us, always blessing us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember this fact and truth that we might live in it, because you have blessed us to bless others, and we desire to share the good news of your blessing with others, that they too might live and have your peace. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.